Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Sandy Todd Knipe was a 48-year-old from Shelby, North Carolina. He was the father of two and known to be very generous. On the evening of January 16th, 2016, Sandy was at home with a friend. The guest claims Sandy decided to walk to a local store. Sandy never returned. He was never seen again. I'm Ed Denzel, and this is Unfound. There are so many good things in life. Material things we can put our hands on, those things we can use, and the thoughts that come into our minds. In fact, I'd like to believe there are more good objects in the world than bad ones. However, it's amazing how quickly good can go to bad when we combine items that we consider to be good. Fire cooks our food and keeps us warm. Gasoline runs our cars and kills weeds. But we wouldn't want to combine the two. Alcohol can liven up a party if not done to excess. Driving, who doesn't like going for a nice Sunday trip? But drinking and driving, that will get you put in jail. Then there is money and friends. Certainly two of the top five things about being alive. Along with family excellent health, and, of course, heavy metal. But we all know going into business with friends has its perils. Many friendships have collapsed over an understanding or misunderstanding of a bill, a charge, or a price. It's common, too common. And really, I think most people find it easier to give to and take money from strangers than people they know. Well, in the disappearance of Sandy Knipe, in the year before his disappearance, he had gotten into the habit of lending friends money. But a few didn't want to pay him back. Then Sandy was gone. The big question, did he disappear due to a bad mix? 
And now a summary of the case. This is brought to you by my friend Megan Lyonez's website, charlieproject.org. Sandy Knipe knew a lot of people. That was easy to do since he was a handyman who specialized in an activity that many people hate, painting. Sandy had two children, a boy and a girl, although Sandy and his wife had been divorced since the late 1980s. He was a drinker, and there is the possibility that alcohol had control over Sandy's life for a time. But Sandy had cut back since he planned to renew his driver's license after not having it for 15 years. The biggest issue, though, in Sandy's life at the time of his disappearance were a couple of loans he'd given to friends who had yet to pay him back. And it bothered him. So on January 16th, 2016, it was a Saturday like any other. Sandy walked to a friend's house, then came back. He saw his neighbor across the street, who later said Sandy was his usual self. However, that evening, around 8 p.m., Sandy's dad tried to call him many times. No answer. The father then called Sandy's son, Chris, to stop over to see what was going on. Chris got there about 9. Sandy wasn't there, nor was his truck. Instead, a friend's vehicle was in the driveway, but the house was empty. Sandy was never seen again. The owner of the truck in the driveway was eventually tracked down. All he had were guesses as to what could have happened to Sandy. Disappearances over money disagreements are rare, at least in Unfound's world. We've only maybe covered two or three out of over 200 cases. Bonnie and Jeremy Degas' disappearances come to mind. Yet, this is a possibility in Sandy's. And to begin your analysis as you listen to the interview, you may want to contemplate these three questions. Number one, why did Sandy's truck end up in the driveway of that friend? Number two, why did a notebook that Sandy took with him everywhere have the last page ripped out? And number three, could this disappearance hinge on a still-missing gun that Sandy owned? Sandy's family is open to all possibilities, yet they cannot ignore circumstantial evidence that points to foul play. The guest for this episode is Sandy's son, Chris Knipe. Unfound News. The Unfound Newsletter came out this past Saturday. It was a little shorter than usual, mainly due to me covering everything I usually do in the Q&A and update episodes. I anticipate June's will be much longer. If you'd like to receive the newsletter, please contact me at unfoundpodcast at gmail.com. Next, I keep mentioning that Unfound has now covered over 200 disappearances. If you're wondering which case was number 200, depending on what your criteria as to what an actual original disappearance episode is, it's in the area of Stephanie Hartwell's or Nyleen Marshall's cases. No way I could have ever guessed 
Unfound would go this far. Finally, if you missed it, my assistant Heather had a birthday a few days ago. Please reach out to her and wish her a belated one. Where you can find Unfound. Unfound supports accounts on Podomatic, iTunes, Spotify, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Deezer, and YouTube. Speaking of YouTube, on Wednesday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern, please join us for the Unfound live show. All of you can talk with me and I can answer your questions. Contribute to Unfound at patreon.com forward slash unfoundpodcast. This week, I need to thank Marja and Christy. You can also contribute at PayPal, paypal.me forward slash unfoundpodcast. I also need to give a huge shout out to all the people who have monetarily contributed using Super Chat during the live show on Wednesday nights. Thank you for watching and thank you for donating. The email address, unfoundpodcast at gmail.com. Merchandise, the books at amazon.com in both ebook and print form. Do not forget the reviews. Shirts at unfound-podcast.myshopify.com or you can track down my assistant Heather in the Facebook group. Playing cards at makeplayingcards.com forward slash sell forward slash unfoundpodcast. The website, theunfoundpodcast.com. And please mention unfound at all true crime websites and forums. Thank you. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. I'm so happy to have on this episode of Unfound the son of Sandy Knipe, Chris Knipe. Chris, welcome to Unfound. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. And I appreciate you being on the program, Chris. Thank you. I hope uh, Unfound can help you find your father. Let's start here. Uh, let's just talk about the Knipe family uh, as a whole. Um, uh, of course, your father is Sandy. Uh, does he have any other children besides you, siblings, older, younger? Does he have brothers and sisters? What can you say about the Knipe family as a whole? So, yeah, my, my dad, um, he is the son of Robert Knipe and Margaret Knipe. And they're from Shelby. North Carolina as well. My dad has a brother who is Wendell tonight, and I have a sister, and her name is Brittany tonight, and she has three children wow. and one on the way, so he has four grandchildren. Wow. Wow. Congratulations to her. So you're going to be an uncle for the fourth time. That's right. <laughs> okay. So, so you don't have any kids? I have no, I don't have any kids. All right. Me neither. Okay. So, um, uh, your sister, older sister, younger sister? Uh, she is my younger sister. Younger sister. Okay. So, your father's uh, Sandy. Um, he has a brother, Wendell. Uh, Wendell, still with us? Still alive? Yep. Yeah, he still lives in Shelby as well. And uh, he has uh, one daughter as well. So, that mm -hmm. would be my dad's niece. 
Okay. All right. How would you describe the Knipe family? I, I've told people that uh, I have two different families because I'm adopted. My adopted family, very talkative, or my biological family, very talkative, outgoing. Uh, the family that I got adopted by, more the strong, silent types. What would you say the Knipe family is like? Uh, we're def definitely a close-knit family. Um, I would probably say we're more outgoing than we are... Uh, closed in type deal uh -huh. but uh yeah we're, we're more of a uh, close-knit family than anything else we mm -hmm. typically we have family reunions and stuff like that as well okay all right thank you for explaining that so let's move on to your father uh, exclusively sandy uh you know your father sandy what kind of dad was he uh you guys do a lot of things together, maybe baseball, go fishing, hunting. Uh, how would you say he was as a father? Um, I would definitely say when I was younger, we would do more hunting and fishing together. And I guess as as we got older, we just more along the lines talk more than anything else. But mm -hmm. uh, he definitely took me on hunting trips, fishing, uh more outdoor stuff uh, with him than anything else. Uh, he like he liked doing outdoor stuff. Um, but when I when, we, when I got older, of course, when I went in the military and I started working at the sheriff's office, uh, we, we talked more on the phone than we did anything else. Or we would get up and and just hang out with each other and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. How often would you say that you saw him? I, I mean, maybe I should ask you this: How? As an adult, how close did you live uh, to your father? Very close, or and how often did you see him? Yeah, I lived probably, I'd say it's less than five minutes from him. Oh, wow. And uh, typically on a weekly basis, uh, in person, we'd probably at least see each other once a week. Uh, now, as far as talking on the phone, we would, we would talk pretty mm -hmm. regular on the phone. Okay. So he was close, uh, unlike my, myself and my father, who lives in Pennsylvania, and I hear I live here in Florida. Okay, so um, and so what's what were some of the things that he was into on his own? Maybe his work. Um, you know, I, I realize that he, uh, your parents are divorced, but did he have a girlfriend or anything like that, or does he mainly just live by himself and just enjoy his uh, time alone? Uh, he lived by himself, uh, but. Really, his only companion, I guess you could say, is he had a it was a border collie dog that he had, and uh, he took care of the dog and he did stuff with that dog, like walking through the neighborhood and stuff with the dog, and that was really his his biggest thing that he took care of at home and stuff like that. He didn't have a girlfriend, okay. uh, and he was more as far as work goes, he was more of a handyman. He he did little odds and end jobs. Okay, so you would not say, you would say he probably necessarily didn't have a career, like maybe working in a business or something like that, that he's always just been a handyman picking up jobs here and there. Yeah, yep. Okay, what was what would you say his specialty was in his work? Painting, and I don't know why. That huh. is probably, I, 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 I have much respect for people that does painting. That's just something I could not do. Uh, that, uh, not genetic, huh? You did not get that gene, Chris. <laughs> I did not, but he he really enjoyed painting. He, um, if somebody would come come and paint the inside of a building, he would he would drop it and go do it for him. I mean, he loved painting. Huh. 
All right. Uh, I'm like you. I don't like to paint. In fact, the last time I think I've painted anything was in, in a house or anything. was like 30 years ago. So uh, I'm like you. Okay, so you paint. And, of course, a lot of people don't like to do that. No wonder uh, he had that job. He liked to do something a lot of people didn't like to do. Um, all right, so that's uh, a, a little bit about him. You live close to him. Would you get together for holidays? Maybe you, your sister, her kids, him, get together for, like, Christmas, Thanksgiving? Yeah, usually uh, my uncle, his brother, my dad, my grandfather, my sister, her kids, all of us, usually about every holiday and even some birthdays we would get together and, and everybody would be there. Okay. All right. So that give us, gives us an idea. And once again, I'm not, I don't want to get too, too deep into this, but how long uh, had your parents been divorced? How many uh, years before he went missing in 2016? Uh, I'd say at least 28 years. Oh, okay. All right, so going way back to like 19, late 1980s is when they got divorced, probably then. Yes. Okay. All right. All right, let's move on to some things that um, uh, are going to come up when we get into the, the deep discussion of his disappearance. And as the listeners know, uh, I, we follow outlines for these uh, items and these interviews so um, Chris, of course, knows about these things that we're going to talk about. So I'm going to mention the first one right now. Um, your father was in the process of getting his driver's license when he went missing. How did he not, why did he not have a driver's license? Uh, if he was a painter, how did he get to these jobs? What was the whole, what happened there that he didn't have a driver's license and then wanted to get it back? Uh, so my dad, uh, he, he really enjoyed drinking alcohol and so he knew from the aspect of if he would drink alcohol there would be at some point in time where he would have to drive and he would get mm. in trouble so he didn't want to take that mm. risk so he never never got his driver's license but as he started getting older he started thinking more and more about well i really want to be able to drive and so um with me while working in law enforcement, you know, we really had to talk several times. You know, I was like, Dad, if you want to get your license, I'm, I'm all for it. Just know you can't can't be drinking and driving, which right. I know he enjoyed to drink. And so I think he really went through a process of figuring out what he wanted to do. And, and he got to the point in his life where I think he was ready to get his driver's license, which he was, he was working on at the time of when he went missing. So what would he do to get to these jobs? Would he uh, hitchhike or would he get a, a friend to drive him? Would he walk? What would he do when he needed to go somewhere? So typically, uh, my, my grandfather would drive him sometimes to some places. And then uh, some of his neighbors, which that would get him the job, uh, would drive him to him as well. Uh, mm. It was very rare that he would, he would walk to a job. Uh, per se he would mostly get a ride some somehow to there okay all right and how long uh, estimate how long was he without his driver's license i would probably say at least 15 years wow going back to like 2000 or something mm -hmm. wow okay that's a long time uh uh, I guess, you know, people who live in New York City can take the subway and everything, but in Shelby, North Carolina, that's, that's, uh, not having a driver's license, uh, it probably is very rare for an adult to not have one. Yeah, yeah right? it is. Okay. So, um, and when he, lo when he didn't 
have his driver's license was, just to be honest, was this something where he got it taken away or did he just let it lapse back in the early 2000s? Uh, to be honest with you, I, I think he just let it expire, but I'm not entirely sure on that. I I don't think I've ever looked into that personally, nope. but okay. I, I think I think they expired because uh, mm-hmm. I know he had them at one point in time in his life, and I think he may have let them expire. Okay, thank you. Now you've already brought it up, uh, and and we're going to talk about this simply because it, it is an issue, uh, seemingly on the day of his disappearance, where he could have walked to. But you brought up his uh, his drinking. He liked to drink quite a bit. Yeah, he sure did. Uh, mm-hmm. And and there were several times, you know, especially when we would talk on the phone, you know, uh, you know, I, I would stay on to him about drinking because, you know, I wanted him to be able to live a healthier life longer that way you know he could definitely be around to see his grandkids grow up a little bit longer and, and stuff like that right right but typically i mean you know i i would say it would be nothing for him to drink you know a 12 pack or more a, a day wow. wow uh do you think he might have had a problem uh i think he in during our discussions, he got to a point where I think he started realizing he was he was drinking mm. too much. So, yes, okay. I would say he did. Okay, thank you. All right, we'll move on from that. Thank you. Let's talk about this. I think this is uh, important to talk about because uh, it's going to play a very prominent role in the discussion of his disappearance. And he got some money. Uh, why don't you explain how much it was, how did this happen, etc.? So, yeah, when about a year before he went missing, uh, my grandmother and his mother uh, passed away. And my grandfather and grandmother was divorced at the time. And uh, when she passed away, he inherited uh, some money from her. And it was a pretty large amount of money which he he wasn't used to having and um i don't remember the exact dollar amount right Mm -hmm. off the top of my head but it was it was in the thousands i know that much okay uh was it five figures would you say that it was at least ten thousand dollars it was more it was probably a little more than ten thousand dollars wow okay all right and he got this and what did uh what did you do with it uh so Obviously, at times he would buy beer with it, stuff like that. And, but the the biggest thing that he was doing that I didn't realize until, you know, maybe a month before he went missing was he was loaning uh, a majority of his money out to certain people. Huh. All right. So let's just uh, talk about that right now then. Um, how did you even find out? that he was uh, loaning money, quote-unquote, loaning money out to people? So it was probably about a month before he went uh, missing. Uh, during our conversations on the phone, he finally come out and told me that he had loaned some money to uh, a couple different people, and he had been trying to get the money back from them, and they wasn't paying him back and huh. he was trying to figure out what steps he needed to take to go and getting that money back. Wow. Um, so this was, that was the first time you ever heard about it. It had never popped up in any prior conversation. You never even suspected it. 
Yeah, no, I I didn't know anything about it until, like I said, about a month before uh, he went missing. And and then I was trying to help him go through different processes of how to go about getting his money back from them. Okay. And so this was very, um, like, unofficial loaning, right? Yes. You know, uh, okay. So, um, you know, he's loaning the money to these people. And when you had these conversations, of course, this month before... Did he ever give you an idea of how many people he had loaned money to over that preceding roughly year? Any idea? Yeah, uh, and we actually had met. uh, I went to his house, and he had a book uh, that he wrote pretty much everything in. And he had in the book on a page of who he had loaned what money to. And there was Mm -hmm. was a couple different names on that list, and some of them that didn't really loan that much, maybe, you know, $50 or a hundred dollars or whatever here and there, they had paid him back already, but there were, mm-hmm. there was three people in particular that he had loaned a large amount, uh, mm-hmm. the over a thousand dollars to each one. Um, and they wasn't paying him back. Okay. We'll get into that in a moment. Uh, would you say that it surprised you, uh, when knowing your father, like you do, to hear that he was lending money to people? In a way, it didn't surprise me. Um, and the reason why I say that is because my dad would help anybody, uh, no matter how much it would hurt him. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it's kind of like the old cliche where people say, well, he'd give his shirt off his back to right. help anybody. And, sure. you know, and, and he, he, he would do whatever he could to help anybody, and, and it didn't matter how much it would take away from him. Uh, and the only time he would start to say something is when it would start, for example, when his money was getting low. And mm-hmm. that's kind of around about how when I, I found out about it a month before when he was getting low on money. Okay. Now, maybe you could um, maybe typify or explain this conversation. Would you say that he was worried about it? Was he angry about it? Um, was there, you know, any fear that they might not pay him back at all? Was there any, did you get an idea of maybe these people were just being rough with him and saying, no, we're not going to pay? I mean, what was the tone of those conversations you had with him? So, uh, I think he was more worried about getting the money back than, I guess, them, anything else, because he would just go along the lines of saying, Look, I've tried to tell them to pay, you know, about paying me back. They just keep brushing me off. They won't give me my money back. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like he was, I wouldn't say he was scared or worried or nothing about, or I shouldn't say worried. He was worried about not getting his money back. I, mm-hmm. I think he had, at that point in time, thought, well, I've loaned him this money, and I'm never going to get it back from him. And he was trying mm-hmm. to figure out the legal way of going about getting it back from him. Right. And uh, the listeners should know we are not going to be using the the real names of these people. Um, and so, in a prior conversation, I was the one who just came up with the aliases. Uh, there's a couple uh, married couple named John and Jane Doe, and then there is a uh, a man I guess who lives by himself, a single guy, and we're just going to call him Tom Smith for purposes of this conversation. Uh, but uh, you should know that Chris, of course, does know their real names. Regarding these people, and you, of course you saw the book, you saw their names, had you known these people before in the community? How well did um, your father know these people? Of course, I guess decently well to loan them money, but what did you know about them, etc.? So, 
the John and Jane Doe is a married couple, and my dad had known the husband, John, uh, for probably most of his life, and I, I, I've known him definitely mo my entire life uh, as well. And then the Tom Smith guy, uh, mm -hmm. that was one of my dad's friends that he met and probably knew somewhere around to, I guess, 10 years maybe. And mm -hmm. I would say I probably knew him about the same amount of time my dad knew him as well. Okay. Um, your general, notwithstanding, of course, keeping out the fact that you now know that they were paying this money back, and we'll get into the amount here in a moment, but um, your general opinion of these people as being friends of your father before he went missing, before you found out this money, what were your general opinions of, of them? The, the John Doe guy... Uh, I, I knew him and his family pretty well, and uh, I, I thought a lot of him uh, before before my dad went missing. <clears throat> now, his wife, uh, I guess the best word for me that I would use is is a little sketchy uh, okay. at times, and I would I would even go and say the same thing about Tom as well mm -hmm. as being sketchy as well, and and I don't know that I. When, you know, with Tom, if I would necessarily uh, trust him at all, uh, huh. just just from my time of knowing him. Okay. And, and I just have to ask, so and when you found out that, for example, Tom was one of the people who wasn't paying your father back, was it like, you know, Dad, you probably shouldn't lend money to that, money to that guy in the first place? Yeah, when, when, I, when he told me who it was uh, and that he had done that, I wasn't surprised of what my dad was going through to try to get it back from him. Okay. So regarding Tom, that was the situation. Were you a little more surprised by John? Uh, definitely on the John, though, I was surprised about him. But mm -hmm. his wife, Jane, I, like I said, she she come off a little bit sketchy to me in the first okay. place. And, uh, you know, I, I just didn't trust trust her either at times. Okay, so but but in both situations, these were these were not people. I guess what we're saying here is these are not people who, once they found out your father got some money, just happened to pop into his life. These were people who were friends with him for years and years. Uh, well, you know, well before he got this money. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Now, um, once again, I know that you saw this book. Your understanding: How much money did Jane and John Doe owe him, and how much money did Tom Smith owe him? Uh, Jane and John Doe owed, owed over a thousand, and Tom was the uh, same way over a thousand. Wow! So between them, at least two thousand dollars. Yeah, at the minimum, yes. Okay. All right. I want the listeners to remember that. All right. So, uh, your father's trying to get this two thousand dollars back. Maybe even just a partial part of it. Maybe just half. Maybe five hundred dollars each or something. He probably would have been happy at that. But they weren't um, paying him. Do, in your opinion, did they have the means to pay your father back? What you know about them? Um, definitely, I would say one of them definitely did because of some other stuff that I can't uh, elaborate on. But sure. he, he definitely could have. Okay. All right. So it's not like these were a bunch of homeless people. 
No, right? no they okay. all had homes. All right, so they had possessions. If they really wanted to pay your father back, they could have sold something that amounted to $1,000. Okay, let's go back to this book. You've already brought it up. Um, you know, explain this book. Is this just something like a, um, like a notebook, like a spiral-bounded notebook? How big was it? And what other things were did he write in it besides people who owed him money when you saw it? So my 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 dad wasn't very uh, technology savvy. So he had a a little flip phone, and he he had a hard time even uh, saving phone numbers in his phone. So he would use this book he had. It was uh, it was just a little black notepad, and uh, he would write people's phone numbers and and stuff in there that he would need to remember uh, back then he had a when he went to listen to his voicemail on his phone he had to put in a pin code and he even wrote his pin code in the book uh so he could remember it and and also along with the things like, like we talked about before was uh the money that mm-hmm. he had loaned out and he was trying to get back as well okay so this is that book and we will talk about this book uh, again in a bit because of something that happens to it. Okay, so we know that the 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 what is accepted as the disappearance date is January sixteenth, twenty sixteen. What do you remember? You know, of course, this is over five years ago now. Um, what do you remember about the you know the couple days before that? Uh, would you say, for example, January thirteenth, fourteenth, fifteenth? Did you talk to your father once again about that money, or was it something that? kind of he brought up a month before that and it kind of went away do you remember talking to him about that money and these people in those just a few days before he went missing um no yeah each i would say once he brought it up to me it would be each week we would at least talk about it uh something about it so uh even a couple of days, I'm not sure what, what day it may have been, but a couple of days before he went missing, we had talked about it again, uh, about, okay. about that money. So, I mean, and, uh, I could tell it was starting to bother him. Mm-hmm. Would you say that, uh, from the first time he brought it up to when he, those couple of days before he went missing, do you think that, uh, his apprehension and stress had risen? Were the conversations a little more stressful than at the beginning or, or what, what would you say? Looking back on it now, in the moment, I, I, I didn't see that. But looking back on it now and knowing some of the things I do, uh, which I, I'm, I'm sure we'll get into mm-hmm. a little bit later on. But looking back on it now, uh, the other things that I found out afterwards, I would say he was getting a little stressed about it. Because um, the day of that he goes missing that morning, you know, he, he winds up running out of money. Right. Right. Okay. And we'll get into that. Do you, of course, this is a couple thousand dollars. We know that, um, you know, he, in, you know, he got this, it was like you said, over $10,000, at least into the five figures. What was, what was done with that rest of that money? It seems other people paid him back. He maybe has some expenses and everything. Do you even know what he did with the rest of the money? Did he put it in the bank? Did he keep it under his, um, you know, under his mattress? What do you think he did with it? So all the money that he inherited originally from my grandmother, uh, it was put into a bank account. And uh, along the way, uh, before he went missing, he was having to pay for, uh, because he also inherited her house, 
and along the way he had to pay for some different things for the home uh like some renovations mm-hmm. uh, some homeowners insurance uh, he like i said he was working on getting his uh driver's license so he had recently bought him a, a little small truck so some of that money that he had got was spent towards his home and a vehicle and stuff like that as well okay and regarding this money, at any point, being that you knew these people uh, as well, did you ever kind of intervene? Did you ever speak to any of those three people about the money that they owed your father? Uh, I didn't personally speak to them during the time of that. And the reason why is, uh, you know, as I stated before, I'm, I'm in law enforcement. Mm-hmm. And so I, I tried to give my dad the best advice I could on what he needed to do or go about getting his money back. And I, I didn't want, for example, me to have to go and talk to him and them know I'm in law enforcement and them think, well, I'm trying to pressure or coerce them into doing something just because one, I'm in law enforcement and I'm his son. So uh, I tried to give him the best option possible to where he could get his money back. Okay. That's a very good point. Thank you, uh, you know, for being like that. I, I completely understand. I think the listeners can also understand your position as well. Um, do you know if he ever got any of his friends, though, uh, who did, who were more trustworthy that, you know, had paid him back or maybe they hadn't, hadn't bar- borrowed any money at all? Did he ever get any of them, to your knowledge, to lean on these people to pay him back? Not to my knowledge, no. Okay. All right, so let's, uh, January 16th, 2016, what day of the week was that? That was a Saturday. Saturday, okay. So what do you know about your father's movements uh, for that day? I have it in my notes that he went walked to a couple friends' house, um, and we'll talk about, and then he went to buy beer, like you said, he didn't have enough money. Please go through that. Um, you know, I know that I don't know if you want to use these friends' real names or not. That'll be up to you if you want to use names at all. But what do you know about the the early hours? You know, nine in the morning and on uh, regarding your father's um, movements that day. So earlier the, that morning uh, on January the sixteenth, two thousand sixteen. Uh, I, I knew he had locked himself out of his house and he called my grandfather to get a spare key to where he could get back in the house. So one of his neighbors that live across the street from him, directly across the street from him, uh, took him to my grandfather's house so he could get a key. And then he went back home, obviously, at that time. And then at some point during the time, during the day, he uh, wanted to go to the store, to a gas station, which was right up the road from his house, to get beer. So he had the the neighbor drive him back to the store to buy him beer. Well, when he went to buy beer at that store, uh, he swiped his card and it told him it was declined, didn't have enough money on there. So... Uh, he went ahead and had the clerk at the gas station run the card for whatever money he had left. And then his neighbor, they drove him up there, loaned him $2 to finish paying for the rest of his beer. Huh. And then uh, once he done that, he went back home. And at some point in time around 5, 
maybe four thirty, five o'clock in the evening, um, he walked down to a, another neighbor's house, which is more towards the end of the cul-de-sac where he lives. And he went down there. They were having a little cookout. He drank a few beers down there with them. And then somewhere around 5.30, 6 o'clock-ish, uh, the neighbor said he walked back home uh, to his house. And at that time, uh, I was, I think I, I may have went to South Carolina to eat uh, that evening. And when I was on my way home, somewhere around 8.30, 9 o'clock in the evening, my grandfather called me and he said, hey, uh, I've been trying to get a hold of your dad because um, he was trying to get his key back, you know, in case he locks mm. himself out again. He'll, right. he'll be able to let him back in. And he said, I can't get a hold of him. Can you go by and check on him uh, when you on your way home? I said, yeah, I'll go by there and I'll call you back. So I went to my dad's house. And when I get there, I knock on the door. No one comes to the door. Uh, I walk around the house, look in the windows. I don't see anything. So... Uh, I knew the neighbor had drove him to the store and to my grandfather's house earlier. So mm-hmm. I walked over to his house, knocked on the door, and I said, hey, have you seen my dad? And he said, I hadn't seen him. And he, he told me he walked to the other neighbor's house for the evening. And he said mm-hmm. he came back, but he, he's got to be at the house. I said, okay, well, I'll go back over there and check again. So I went back, and for whatever reason, when, when I walked back this time, I said, you know what, let's just see if the door's unlocked, and I'll just go in. And so I opened the screen door, and I grabbed the door handle to the door, and, and it was unlocked. And uh, I walked in, and I saw his dog was in the house, which if he's gone, he typically don't leave the dog in the house. He's got a kennel outside he'll put him in. And the dog had used the bathroom in the floor and and different things like that and so i walked all through the house didn't see him but when i walked through the house i noticed on the coffee table in front of the couch in the living room uh on one end of the coffee table there was an open beer and on the other end of the coffee table there was another beer closed up which had a pretty good distance apart from from one another Mm mm-hmm so I left. Uh, well, I took care of the dog and stuff first. And then once I done that, I put the dog back in the house. I left. I called my grandfather and said, hey, uh, he's not he's not there. Uh, I'm going to call uh, John and Jane Doe to see if he's with them. Uh, and I'll mm-hmm. let you know if I get a hold of them. So let me just uh, if I could just jump in here for a second. Thank you for yeah, explaining all yeah. of that. All right. So. When you show up at his house, uh, are the lights all out, um, or does no, it light, does, does it actually look the lights are on? Yeah. All right. Was like the TV on or anything or? No, the TV wasn't on. Uh, the lights in the living room, the kitchen, the bathroom, all, all of them were on. Wow. Okay. Well, do you think that was common for your father to do that? Uh, I don't know that he would have all the lights on like mm. that. I, I mean, that's. Okay. You know, something different that I wouldn't think he would do. Okay, and what the fu- and what the, I guess the neighbor who lived across the streets uh, is saying that he didn't see anybody uh, walk up there. Nobody pulled up. Nothing. He, yeah, he didn't see anything. Okay, but um, we'll get into this a little later. But however, when you showed up there, there was a vehicle there, but it wasn't your father's. Yes. Yeah. There was a uh, a little red truck in the driveway, and I, I knew whose truck that was but it, it wasn't it wasn't my dad's okay so this person's truck is there 
your father's truck isn't there. Yes. Okay, and you already explained the dog look uh, went to the bathroom inside the inside the house, which means it had probably been in there for several hours. Uh, at, least. at least. Okay, and once again, we have to remember this. These uh, next door neighbors say that he went back to his place around six. You get there around nine. Yes. Right. right? So. So like three hours of uh, in the timeline there where we're just not sure what happened. Okay. Um, so then you call. Why was it, I have to ask, why was it your first uh, reaction to call John and Jane Doe? What was it about that them that said, you know what, I'm going to call them first? Uh, well, I knew typically he would hang out with them and uh, they lived about... Uh, probably 20 minutes from where he did, and uh, he would go with them at times, but if he was going to go for an extended period of time, he would usually call either my grandfather or me and say, hey, I'm going to go out uh, out on the weekend with John and Jane Doe, can you watch, can you come take care of the dog for me while I'm gone? And we would we would typically do that. And if it was just going to be for a few hours, typically he would put the dog outside in the kennel and uh, and then come back home, let the dog in when he goes in. Uh, but typically he would he would go with them or Tom Smith. But I I didn't have Tom Smith's number. The only number I had was uh, for John and Jane Doe. Okay, so. Your first instinct at 9, roughly 9 p.m. on that Saturday night was to call them, and what happens? So I called them, and the one of their children answered the phone, and I pretty much tell the, the child that answers the phone, I say, hey, I need to speak to your, your mom or dad. It's, it's pretty important. I need to ask them some stuff. And they said, okay, they're in bed, but I'll go ask. And so they they laid the phone down and I'm assuming they went and asked them to come to the phone. And when the child returned to the phone, they said they, they couldn't come to the phone right now. They were in bed. They would call me the next day. And so I was like, okay, if for some reason they get up, look, I really need them to call me. I, I need to talk to them. And, uh, the, the kid said, okay, I'll let them know. And that was pretty much the end of the conversation with their kid on the phone. Okay. Uh, before you did that though, did you, uh, I guess you're, uh, uh, Sandy's father, your grandfather, tried to call him on his phone. Did you try to call your uh, father on his phone? And if you did, what would happen? Did it go right to voicemail? Did it ring and ring and ring? What did it do? Yeah, so my, my grandfather tried to call him, and I, I tried to call him multiple times while I was on my way there. I was like, if I can just get him on the phone before I get there, uh, I can just talk to him that way and see what's going on. But he didn't answer. And then obviously when I got to his home and I was walking around inside, I called him as well. And it was just ringing and ringing and ringing. Then it would go to voicemail. Uh, it probably wasn't until the next day that when I was finally still continuously trying to call him, that it finally just went to voice. Every time I would hit send, it would go to voicemail. You know, it wasn't even ringing anymore. Okay, so it seems that uh, the phone was still on. Seems uh, wasn't going straight to voicemail, but he's not picking up. And maybe I should ask you this because, of course, as you know, Chris, we've covered over two hundred disappearances, and and I have to say, a lot of times families, you know, either parents or children of missing people. You know, sometimes they don't act 
uh, that quickly. Usually, you know, people don't find out that a loved one's missing for days, if not weeks. I mean, we've talked about disappearances where people didn't realize the person was missing for like nine months. But it seems in this particular situation that your grandfather realized kind of early on that something wasn't right when your father didn't pick up his phone. Can you explain that a little bit? Why, why you know, he, you know, he couldn't reach him and automatically he's calling you. Uh, what, can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, so I, I, I think what it had boiled down to is that my grandfather was trying to call him from probably about, I'd say, 5.30 to 6 o'clock time frame. And he, my grandfather was still con- continuously trying to get a hold of him from about 5.30, 6 o'clock in the evening till about the time he called me, somewhere around mm-hmm. 8.30-ish, something like that in the evening. And... And it just wasn't like my dad to not answer his phone, or if he didn't answer it, it uh, he would call you back pretty quickly. Um, so it, it was kind of weird that he wasn't answering his phone, because he, he had that thing on him all the time. All right, so what you're saying here is, just notice something out of, uh, out of the normal circumstances of your grandfather calling him, just something seemed off from normal circumstances. Yes. Okay. All right, so you call John and Jane Doe. They don't want to get out of bed. Their child, you know, child can't get one of them to the phone. Things uh, go over to then the next day, January seventeenth, and it, it, maybe I should ask you this: At that night, did you try calling Tom Smith? Because just to give it away, it was his truck that was in your father's driveway or in his yard. Yeah, you didn't yeah, have his phone number. No, you didn't have his phone number though, right? No, I didn't have his phone number, and yes, you're correct. It was Tom's truck that was in my dad's driveway. Okay, and we will come back to that. So we get the next day, January 17th, 2016. What goes on that day? So uh, essentially sometime during, I'd say it's afternoon, going closer to evening, uh, John and Jane Doe finally called me back. And they say, uh, hey, we heard that your dad was missing and his stuff, meaning his truck, uh, his clothes and the black book or his little notebook that we talked about was all at Tom Smith's house. And so essentially I go into work and after you know, going through the evening and into the next, going into the next evening, I finally went into work and I, I went straight to my lieutenant, my sergeant. I said, hey, I, I need to talk to y'all. And I kind of told him what was going on uh, about my dad, not getting in touch with my dad and stuff. And I said, John and Jane has called me uh, and told me that his stuff is down at Tom's house. I said, you know, can we go down there and at least see if he's there and get his stuff or see what's going on? And Mm-hmm. Uh, essentially, uh, we go down to Tom's house. Uh, All right, let me, uh, if I could jump in just for a second. So you, uh, so they finally call you back, but they don't call you first thing on Sunday morning, January 17th. It wasn't until later in the day that they called yeah. you. So even though they knew that you left them a message, they waited for most of the day the next day before they called you. Yes. Okay. And what were you doing? What were you doing during, during that time? Did you go back over to your father's? Uh, did you go check on the dog? What were you doing while you were waiting for them to call you back? So the next the next day, essentially what I was doing is I was going to my dad's house 
was using my key to get into the house. I was letting his dog out to use the bathroom and stuff like that. And obviously the, the dog had been left in the house by itself. I had to go and clean all the different messes it made up in the house yeah. and, and, and take care of that. And, uh, while doing all that, I'm trying to call him to get him on the phone and, uh, and stuff like that, and then, t- and then it's finally they call me when I'm I'm about to go into work and tell me that. Okay, and that's when you go in. So when you go in the evening uh, of January seventeenth is when you talk to your supervisors. Yeah. Okay, so that's the evening, and you speak to them. Hey, you know this is what uh, John and Jane said. Uh, they uh, no, we'll get into that in a moment. But they said that on my dad's truck. Uh, his possessions, they're all over at Tom Smith's house. And when did you, uh, you ended up doing that? Was that not until the 18th or was it that night that you went to see Tom Smith or when was that? I'm wanting to say it was that night. So I, I, I'm thinking it's the 17th. I, I, I know it's it's been five years ago. I understand. I'm trying to remember the exact date, but it, I'm pretty sure it was the 17th, and it may have been the 18th. But okay. the, the day that I, the day that I told them uh, is that we went that night over there. Okay, and I just want to go back to something we kind of glossed over it very quickly, but this will this is a major point. So when they called you back, John and Jane Doe, they said your dad is missing. Yes, that that was essentially the first thing that she, Jane, said on the mm-hmm. phone whenever uh, I started talking to him. And just so we're clear, when you called the night before and talked to their child, did you ever use the word missing? No, the only thing I told them is uh, I need to talk to them is very important. Okay, and, uh, and we'll, we'll cover this again in a little bit, but just to get this out of the way, because I know the listeners are, are want to know, at that point, did they ever explain how they knew that your father's truck and, and his possessions and that book were at Tom's? Any explanation for that? No, they didn't explain none of that to me. And uh, and to be honest with you, uh, at the at the time, at the time and place where I was, I was kind of in disbelief that my dad could possibly be missing. And when I finally had somebody calling me, telling me, "Hey, you're." your dad's stuff is here it wasn't until i went back and kind of reflected on you know some of the things that i was told on the phone that i was like wait a minute you know these people are saying some stuff like this and uh you know and that's when i started telling the investigators all of that stuff as well okay all right we're certainly going to come back to that i just want to make sure uh, i want to make sure the listeners heard uh what they heard okay so you guys uh you and uh who else you don't have to use their names uh, who and you and who else go to Tom's to check out what John and Jane Doe said, and what what goes on when you go there? Uh, so, the my supervisors and another deputy goes uh, because the other deputy that went was essentially doing the report, uh, the initial missing person report uh, for my dad. And when we went. We pulled into the driveway, and the way you entered Tom's home is you went to the door that was uh, around the, just around to the back of the house. And as you go through the door uh, to the back of the house, it leads you directly into the kitchen. And as you get into the kitchen, you see the, the kitchen table sitting there. Well, the, 
part of the kitchen table that was the closest to the door where you could exit the house had my dad's clothes there in a grocery bag um, along with the book and then outside obviously in the driveway was my dad's truck sitting there too so um, and then my, my lieutenant starts talking to Tom and and stuff like that and, and eventually he looks at me and he says Chris uh, you know I loved your dad and I wouldn't do nothing to hurt him and mm-hmm. um, and at that point I just I, I, I guess I'm trying to think of the best word I didn't really care too much for him and so the best thing for me to do was to leave and so I walked out of the house and just went outside to uh, let them finish what they needed to do and when they come out they have my dad's bag of clothes and his stuff and uh, before we left we had uh, my dad's truck towed to the sheriff's office so they could do uh, different crime investigation stuff on it to see if anything had happened Okay, now how long would you say the total time that you and your supervisors, the other deputy, were there? Uh, 30 minutes, an hour, how long would you say you were all there? Um, I would probably say 15 minutes, oh, so not 20 long. minutes, yeah. Okay, and at any point in that conversation, did Tom ever explain why he had your father's truck, his clothes, and that book? Uh. He didn't explain it to me, uh, but what he had told my supervisor is is that uh, my dad let him borrow his truck, and he left his truck at my dad's house. And then as far as the clothes in the book goes, I, I didn't hear any explanation on that. Uh, I'll just ask, is it possible that uh, those clothes in the book the reason they were there is just because they were in the truck? Uh, no, typically my dad, anywhere he went, he would take that book with him everywhere. Because, like I said, it had phone numbers in it and uh, even his pen number and stuff for his phone. So anywhere he went, that book was with him. All right. And what about the clothes? Uh, was your uh, father known to carry any clothes in a plastic bag in his truck no um i I never knew him to carry any clothes in his truck uh Mm -hmm. when he went anywhere now is there a possibility and is there a possibility he may have stayed the night there and left some clothes there yeah but the the thing that catches me is uh is his book because he took that thing everywhere with him okay we won't get into too much speculation but uh what what uh, let's just get right to it. In that first conversation with Tom, uh, did, he, did he seem to know? Did he seem nervous? Did he seem to know that your father was missing? Uh, to me, when I got there, it seemed to me that he knew we were coming already as far mm. as law enforcement was coming to his house. Uh, just the way he had the stuff staged in his house and the way... Mm-hmm. Uh, he had us come into one in particular room in the house. I, it seemed to me he knew we were coming. All right, and and it's interesting because once again, you law enfor- you are in law enforcement, so you go into a lot of people's houses. So this is something you have a lot of experience with, and your experience tells you 
that he kind of knew you were coming and was prepared. Yes. Okay. Um, what did he say about the last, being that he had your father's truck, what did he say about the last time he saw your father? The story that he told um, my supervisor and the other deputy that was there is that my dad would typically walk through the woods uh, to a gas station to get beer and that they might want to check the woods. Uh, that, that, he, he didn't really go into when the last time he was, he seen him because when he was asked about the last time he seen him, he kind of gave two different dates of when he possibly seen him. So mm -hmm. he, he eventually veered to a story of, well, his dad typically walks through the woods to go to the store to get beer. At any point, did he explain how his truck ended up at your father's and how long it had been there? He, he did not. Okay. And we'll get into the uh, the truck, a uh, more bizarre issue regar regarding his truck in here in a bit. Okay, so you have this conversation with Tom. N not exactly overtly helpful, but you get your father's truck back, you get that book back, you get his clothes, and uh, being that Tom made that statement about how, well, maybe he walked off, what kind of searches were done uh, in, in the next you know, few days, week, what was done next? So after the police report was done, um, essentially the next day, uh, they had search parties out there with at my dad's house and done a search radius. I, I'm, I'm not sure on the exact distance, but it, it was a pretty good distance around his house. And they had people from... Uh, the sheriff's office, uh, other local police departments, emergency management, uh, SBI, which is State Bureau of Investigation, came and, and tried to help. And, and they done a, a big, a big wide search. And uh, I think they done it based off of the, the story that Tom gave that he walked to a certain store to get beer and then essentially other searches was done based off of his phone pings. Okay. And, uh, what, what did the phone ping say? Uh, most of them from my understanding, I hadn't personally seen them, but most of them, uh, was near main roadways and near his house. Yes. Okay. And I should ask you this earlier, but just as so we have an understanding, uh, being that you were at Tom's house, uh, how far does Tom live from your father? So he lives probably 15 minutes away from him. Okay. So there would be no chance that uh, the if there was a phone ping and they were at Tom's, that it would be pinging off a cell phone tower near your father's, not 15 minutes away, which could be 10 miles away. Yes. All right, so do you know if any of those pings ever bounced off near Tom's in the, the preceding 24 hours, let's say? I, I, I don't know that. The, the, there's only one in particular ping I know, and it was the last one, and it was uh, near the time of when I got to his house to check on him the first evening. Uh, 
there was one, the last one was near the end and it was near his house. Okay. Um, and uh, we should maybe establish this. We know that the book was found, his, his truck, his clothes. So besides your father being missing, is his phone also missing? Yes. All right, it's not been found. Did he have a wallet? Um, maybe he didn't have a driver's license. Maybe he had another form of identification. Are those things missing as well? So his wallet, identification, driver's, well, ID, uh, social security card, all of that, his wallet and everything was left at his house. Uh, pretty right. much right beside the, the couch on a uh on it like an end table the only thing the only other thing that's missing to my knowledge uh other than his cell phone is uh a small handgun that he had wow. and that's the only other thing missing what kind of gun is it um uh, it was a derringer 380 it was a wow. little bitty small gun yeah yeah right i know those okay and that's still not been found five years later no ideas no okay all right, so you do these searches around his house. Any signs of anything uh, around uh, his house at all? The, any footprints? Anything like that that would that could lead you to believe that your father, uh, you know, was at his house and decided to walk off into the woods to the store, or wherever else? No, nothing. Nothing. Uh, I'm not a, a huge believer in dogs personally myself. We talk about them a lot, but. Uh, a lot of times they don't smell anything, but did you have any dogs out there? Did they get any sense, anything like that? So they actually brought two different sets of dogs. They brought regular tracking canines, and then they also brought uh, cadaver dogs. And did they smell anything? No. Nothing? Nothing. Uh, I guess, uh, how did they, do, if, you, if you were there, how did they uh, do that? Did they have them in the house? and, um, you know, go out from the house, or how did they do that with those dogs? Did they start at the house, or what did they do? Uh, majority of them, when they started, started at the house. Uh, and then uh, I think at some point in time, some of them went to a certain ping location and tried that area off hmm. of maybe like an article of his clothing. Okay. And... Um, did the dog handlers ever offer up any explanation uh, for that, that their dogs did not pick up anything? Any any ideas? They, they didn't to me, no. Okay. All right. So uh, that's what uh, Tom said, um, but the dogs weren't able to pick up any scent. Um, but like I said, I'm not a huge believer in dogs. I think dogs get the, more wrong than right usually, but okay. All right, so let's go back uh, to uh, Tom for a little bit. And, of course, we mentioned his truck and how when you showed up on that Saturday night, his truck's there, your father's truck, of course, your father's truck is eventually found at Tom's, but Tom's truck's at your father's. Yes. Now, here's the bizarre part. Uh, where is Tom's truck now? Tom's truck is still, to this day, st sitting at my dad's house which uh I, I obviously have the possession of my dad's uh, estate right now and uh if it wasn't for me moving tom's truck out of the driveway it would still be sitting in the same place it was five years ago today 
Has Tom ever given any explanation? I mean, it's over five years. It's his truck. I mean, he, I guess, legally owns it. He never came to get it since, since you know, January 2016. Nope. He's, he's still sitting there. He's not reached out to anyone at the sheriff's office about getting the vehicle, and he definitely hasn't tried to reach out to any of the of my dad's family to uh, about getting his truck. Uh, so you've moved it. So are you saying like the keys were left in it or were they le- in your father's house or, or, or what? Yeah. The, so essentially they were in, in my dad's house and I just, I moved it over, um, into the, the grass area beside the driveway, just that way because, uh, during these past five years, I was going and trying to take care of my dad's house, clean sure. it up and do sure. different things around there. So I guess what you're saying is being that you could move it, it runs. It seems to be in working order as far as you can tell. Yeah, as far as I can tell. Now, I don't know about now. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I, hadn't, I hadn't touched it and probably or done anything with it in over, I'd say, at least four and a half years. Uh, okay. So I don't, I don't know if it would or not. Uh, to your knowledge, did Tom get it? Has has Tom gotten another vehicle since 2016? I have no idea. No idea. All right. So that truck is still sitting on your father's property, or where it was when you saw it on January 16th of 2016. Yes. Wow. Okay. Uh, has that truck uh, been opened? Uh, has uh, any forensics been done on it? The the, the day they started doing their initial uh, searches, uh, they had crime scene come out and do their different things, processing the house and that vehicle while they were uh, while they were doing the searches. So yeah, it's it's been processed. Okay, and I, I'm guessing uh, we just don't know. Uh, and and as the listeners have already discovered. Uh, what is unique about this disappearance is that Chris works for the very sheriff's department that is responsible for investigating his father's disappearance. We understand there are going to be things, even though he is in his position, he has, you're treated just like a regular citizen, correct, Chris? Yes, and, and I, I do work for the, so I work for Cleveland County Sheriff's Office, and that's the same agency that's investigating my dad's. Uh, mm-hmm. disappearance and even though I work there I'm, I'm not privileged to any information the only time that I really get any information uh, is if they come across maybe a lead that doesn't turn out to be a lead and they'll say look we've had this come across but it didn't pan out to be anything most of everything that we're discussing uh, I had I had prior knowledge and found out you know a lot before the investigation had started and stuff like that. And, and some of it I had learned along the way because I had to help investigators uh, provide them with certain information that, right. that they needed for my dad, like banking information and stuff like that. Okay. All right. And so we just want maybe want to we establish that. Okay. So there are going to be things, even though you work for uh, that agency, that there's just certain things. If they've discovered certain things, there's just things they can't tell you. Yeah, that's it's very, it's very possible. Okay. Now let's talk about that book. Uh, the book that your father had, uh, it ended up at Tom's. Now you ended up getting it back and you discovered something about it. What was it? So 
once we the, the sheriff's office got a hold of the book, uh, I flipped the book open just to see if if it was still intact and stuff like that. And, and as I looked through the book, uh, in the in the one particular area that my dad had showed me, the page that of people that owed him money was it was no longer in that book. It was missing. So whoever uh, somebody. Uh, that that page where he would keep track of all the people that owed him money, in particular Tom and John and Jane Doe, that page was missing, had been ripped out. Yes. Did uh, Has anybody ever owned up to that? Uh, has Tom ever been asked about that? Do you, or Jane and John Doe ever been asked? Do you have any ideas? Uh, to my knowledge, no one has owned up to it. Uh, but I don't know if they have been asked about it. Um, okay. On any of that. Okay. All right. So that uh, that is uh, something. When did you discover that? How soon after your father went missing did you discover that? As soon as you got the book back, or was that something you didn't realize until later? No, it was that that same evening that that we went went to Tom's house when when after I was told that all of his stuff was down there. It was that same evening that I knew it was missing right then and there. Pretty fast. Okay, so um, so we uh, put kind of put that together. We're not uh, we don't do any theorizing here, but the fact is, your father was having problems getting his money back from Tom and John and Jane Doe. Yes, uh, his truck ends up at Tom's, and the book is there, and that page where it shows that they owe the money is missing. In, in addition, Tom has a you know incomplete story about how he got these things. And in addition, uh, John and Jane Doe, we're going to talk about them again. Uh, when they originally called you back, they were already talking about your father being missing. Uh, yes. Seemingly jumping the gun, I guess, at least a little bit. Jump, yes. Yeah. Okay. So let's now talk about uh, John and Jane Doe. Um, did, uh, maybe you weren't a, a party to this, but do you know if investigators actually went over there and eventually after talking to Tom... Did they go talk to John and Jane Doe? Um, I know that they have spoke to him, but I don't know what, what has been said or what mm. what came of that. Okay. Uh, and I just have to ask these questions. I, I realize that you may not know them, but um, were they ever told about the book with the page missing? Did the, 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 the issue of them owing your father money ever come up? Um, did they know about Tom's truck still being over at your father's? Did they ever explain how they knew about these things being at Tom's? Any of that at all? Do we know anything about that? Uh, I don't have any knowledge about that. No. Have, uh, over the last five years, if you can say, have you ever run into them? Once again, uh, maybe it's a very complex situation with you being in law enforcement. Have you ever run into them? Uh, have they ever said, hey, you know, we're still thinking about you and your father and wondering what happened to them? Anything like that? Uh, I have not run into John or Jane Doe, but uh, I know I was at work one day and my grandfather called me and he told me uh, that Tom was sitting in his driveway and was pretty much got out of the truck and was standing in the yard and yelling towards my grandfather's house, uh, trying to get him to come outside. And just, he kept repeating over and over and over, uh, to my grandfather that, 
he was like, I, I love Sandy. I wouldn't do nothing to hurt him. And just, you know, kept repeating that. And then finally my grandfather told him, look, I've, I've called Chris and he's coming. You need to leave. And before I got there, he had already left. So, uh, and that was probably, I'd say, um, I don't know, six months after my dad was missing. That was probably the only contact that my, that my grandfather's had with any of them or any family members had with any of them since then. Wow. Okay. Um, so he came over there, uh, wasn't violent or anything, but just acting a little crazy. Yeah. Just, um, I mean, just showing up over there and just mm-hmm. standing in the front yard yelling. Um, mm-hmm. and, you know, and I just told my grandfather on the phone, I was like, look, just stay in the house and I'm coming that way. Okay. Uh, how close would you say, being that you knew these people well before your father ever went missing, um, would you say that John and Jane Doe are very close with Tom Smith? Was this like a little group of friends with John, Jane, Tom, and your father? Uh, how would you explain uh, their total relationship outside, of course, the money that was owed? Yeah, they were they were all friends, uh, and they, they all hung out together at times. So, uh, yeah, it, it, John, Jane, and Tom, and, and my dad, they all knew each other. They, they hung out at times and stuff like that. Hmm. Okay. And uh, to do a little geography here, uh, do Tom and does Tom live close to John and Jane Doe um, or not? No. Uh, so they they live in opposite directions of each other, and my dad would probably be the middle point for both of them. So you would have to drive twenty minutes. Let's just say north to John and Jane's, and then you'd have to drive 15 minutes from my dad south Mm. to Tom's. Okay. Do you know if uh, those three um, still hang out together? Are they still friends? Do you even know? Any idea? I I don't. I don't know. No one's told me that, so I don't know. Okay. Do you know, if you can say, do you know if any of them have had any problems with the law over the last five years for anything? Uh, not that I know of, no. Okay. Um, what about these other friends? Of course, uh, we have to remember that earlier that day on January 16th, you talked about your father seeing another friend of his. He went down the street to this cookout. He went, got this beer that he couldn't pay for, which once again, it start, we start to wonder why is he loaning money out to people if he can't even pay you know, for a grocery bill, it's a little, you know, a little hard to understand. What have these other friends uh, said about this situation, if you can say? And are any of these friends also friends with John, Jane, and Tom? So now, all the 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 friends that that live right there close to him, as far as the cookout and the one that drove him to the store, that's all his neighbors, and none of them knew John or Jane or Tom like that. And all, all them, all them neighbors, the same neighbors still live in that same neighborhood. Um, any, any time I go over there, uh, they always come out and greet me, ask me if I've heard anything, you know, um, and stuff like that. Um, even the, the one that loaned my dad the $2, uh, I, I've told him, I was like, look, you know, what, what did he owe you? I'll be glad to pay you back that way. You know, y'all, y'all be even and stuff. And he said, you know, he'll tell me, Chris, you ain't got to worry about it and uh, and stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. 
they they haven't given me any I guess would say any bad vibes uh, to think anything, but uh, but none of them knew any of the other neighbors or any of the other friends that we've been talking about as far as okay. John, Jane, or Tom. Um, this friend that lives across the street, uh, he would be in a I, I think a convenient position to see what was going on at the house. Obviously. It doesn't sound like he saw anybody come up to the house that night, but uh, has he ever been able to give any details on how long Tom's truck had been at your father's place? Did it just end up there on January 16th, or it had been parked there for a couple days? Has anybody ever asked, has he ever brought that up? Has anybody ever asked him that? Uh, I, I don't know if he's been asked that or not, uh... And I, I definitely hadn't asked him that because for myself personally, uh, earlier that week, uh, before my dad went missing at the beginning of that week, uh, I went by his house and, uh, I knew, uh, Tom's truck was not there. Okay. So let's just say five days before your father went missing. Let's just pick out a date, January 11th. You went by your father's place and certainly Tom's truck was not there. Instead, your father's truck was there. Yes. Okay. So, uh, so to this day, over five years later, it's never been really established when Tom's truck ended up at your father's place. To my knowledge, I don't mm-hmm. know that. Okay. No. no. So nobody's been able to help on that. Okay. I guess, and I've asked you this uh, already, but I'm going to ask you again, of course, because this is an official interview. Uh, being that uh, all these people owed your father money, a total of two thousand over, it seems two thousand dollars. Um. In the last five plus years, being that they owed your father money, but he is still missing, has any, either of them, either the married couple or Tom, ever come to you with the money and said, you know what, we owed your father this money, he's gone, but here it is in case he ever pops up again. Have they ever come to you to try to make things right? No, they haven't. Okay. All right. Um, what's this been like, Chris? Uh, last five, five plus years, you've already explained, you know, in those first few hours, and I, I'm guessing it still it, it continues to this day. You're, you're kind of stunned that your father, uh, has gone missing and you can explain, you know, in those first few hours and, you know, with going to talk to Tom and all of that still being in a stunned state, even though you work in law enforcement and I'm sure you've seen things that the rest of us, uh, will probably never experience. What has this been like? Well, you know, like I said earlier, it's in the beginning, it was, it was really, it was a big disbelief to me. And and I I couldn't, for the life of me, I I, I just was like, this, this can't be happening. This can't be happening. And, uh, you know, probably the first couple of days I had a lot of sleepless nights and, and continuously worrying what, you know what may have happened or where it may be. And, and still, even to this day, I mean, when it comes time around time for, you know, especially like father's day or his birthday and, and even seeing his, his grandchildren, you know, grow up, not get to know him. Um, like me and my sister did and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. It's still tough. And, and just as of recently, um, I, st- I started doing uh, some interviews, um, and 
believe it or not, the, one of the biggest supporters of me doing that was the sheriff that I worked for. And, and he, you know, he's told me, you know, do whatever it takes, for, you know, for you and your family to get answers. And, um, so I, I've recently started trying to, to open up more about it because in the beginning, I, I didn't really want to talk as much, I guess, and do as much interviews because, uh, one, because of the job as I was in and, and I didn't know. Mm -hmm how that would get portrayed with some people I have to deal with and what might would have been said. So, uh, th this is, this has been really helpful to me and, and I'm, I'm very appreciative of everything that, that, that you're doing and have done for, for me and, and my family and, and hopes of us getting and that getting answers, uh, and hopes of what happened to him. Well, you're, you're very welcome, Chris. Uh, you're very welcome. Um, being that it did come up, uh, during our interview here, uh, you know, about this gun that is not only is your father missing, his phone's missing, but this gun is missing. I, I just have to ask, uh, you know, if your father was stressed out uh, about this money, uh, the, the fact is regarding, of course, uh, a lot of things, um, our mental health is sometimes connected to our financial situation. Uh, do you think it could have been that these people not paying him back could have just pushed him over the edge a little bit, you know, being getting into a depressed state? I, I'm sure you've had a chance to think about it. What, what is your opinion on your, your father's mental state, emotional state? Uh, do you think he would ever do something like that? Personally, you know, I've, I've been asked that question before uh, since being interviewed by detectives and stuff during this case. And, uh, that, that was one thing it was asked. Uh, I, I don't personally, I, I don't think, uh, he would ever hurt himself. I don't think he would want to, uh, personally at the time, leave me, my sister or his dog, me, mm -hmm. my sister or his dog. And even the grandchildren he had at the time behind like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I was even asked if he had any kind of health conditions or health problems, sure. uh, you know, I don't, I didn't know of him to have any like that. The, the few things that I do know is, you know, he had to have stitches a couple of times from, you know, getting cut and stuff like that. But that was about the gist of, uh, uh -huh. the last bit of medical records he had, uh, and stuff. But no, I, I don't think he would ever hurt himself. No. Okay. This gun, uh, I, I'm not, uh, I live here in Florida, so I'm familiar with the gun laws here, but in North Carolina, did you have a permit or something to carry that gun on him, or was he only allowed to keep it at home? Uh, what was the situation with him and this gun? Uh, so I, I don't remember. He had that gun for a while, so I don't remember how he had to get it or how he got it, but uh, I'm sure at some point in time he had to have a permit to buy it. Uh, North Carolina has an open carry uh law where you can open carry or if you conceal carry it you have to have a concealed carry permit and right. stuff like that yeah uh but i think he would mostly just uh open carry it uh in this little bitty pouch thing he had bought for it mm -hmm. so did was was he known to take that gun with him everywhere he went or was this gun that he mainly just kept at home no, he usually wherever he went, he had it with him. Okay. All right. All right. So the listeners, uh, you know, can think about uh, that as well. Um, 
I just have to ask you this, being that you are in law enforcement, I'm going to guess that um, your father's disappearance is unique. Uh, you know, we I know from my experience, this is all that I do, that even though disappearances, there are a lot that are unsolved, they are still fairly rare. Most people do appear uh, a few days later, sometimes deceased, many of them alive. Uh, it's a very rare occurrence in, in your county, in your area of North Carolina, have somebody go missing for as long as five years. You know, what can you say about that? Do you know? So, uh, an- another big case that's within Cleveland County uh, that's missing is a juvenile. And you may know about it, and some of your listeners may know about it, is Aisha Degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, she she was a juvenile that went missing uh, as well and is still currently missing. And my dad's case is also uh, listed missing at the sheriff's office. And I, I don't know right off the top of my head if there's any current ones, but that's mm-hmm. the two longest running ones right now at the sheriff's office okay. uh, that we have. So it's very rare. And so when, it, when something like this happens... Uh, you know, I know I've talked about it sometimes, uh, investigators are kind of learning as they go because you don't have it happen that often, you know, trying to track down somebody who's been missing for days. Yes. Right. Okay. Um, do you have a, uh, a website or Facebook page, anything like that, a uh, set up for your father's disappearance, Chris? No, uh, most of the things that I have been doing is just I, I've personally been doing myself through my Facebook. I'll mm-hmm. I'll list uh, there there is a flyer out there that the sheriff's office and Crime Stoppers helped created, and uh, most times around his birthday, the anniversary date of when he went missing, and usually Father's Day, I'll I'll try to share it each time. And, uh, and stuff through my Facebook. Uh, the Sheriff's Office has uh, a Facebook and an app also that they, that they run the missing person stuff through all the time as well that, that they do. Okay. All right. Well, you may think about that, uh, setting up a Facebook page. I, I know that, you know, we do run into that once in a while where a guest has not set up a Facebook page yet. But I can tell you it certainly raises the profile of the disappearance, uh, and if you are doing interviews, it can certainly be an, a very easy way to publicize interviews that you've done or articles that are written about your father's disappearance. It's just a suggestion. I know it's some work, and you can sometimes get some kooks and everything else, but uh, just, you know, if you can admit, administer it well, I, I think it's, um, you know, it's a good thing to do. No pressure. It's, you know, it's up to you, of course, to do it, but uh, I would certainly make, you know, tell you to think about it. So, um, okay. Uh, any final words before we complete this interview, Chris? Uh, I just want to, again, say thank you to, to you and, and your show for letting me come on and and speak with you and tell tell my side of it and, and get the word out there. And, uh, and I just hope and, and pray that my family and myself uh, can get some kind of answers or closures uh, soon. Um, this is definitely probably uh, a thing that a lot of people would probably say is, you know, you wouldn't want to wish this on anybody, right? Uh, you know, because of how tough it is. Sure. Just uh, for example, you're, you know, 
way we were talking is just the unknown. Yep, the unknown. That is what almost every guest says. It's They just want answers. And if it turns out that their loved one is deceased, then they will learn you know, to cope with that. But it's the unknown, not really knowing what happened is the worst part. Absolutely. Yep. Everybody says that. A- absolutely true. True. Well, I appreciate the kind words, Chris. Uh, we'll continue to keep in touch. You let me know if there's anything that I can do, the listeners can do, my assistants can do uh, to help you, you know, get more publicity, um, you know, for your father's disappearance. And uh, I want to continue to be uh, kind of a resource for you. If you need somebody to talk to outside of law enforcement about what's going on, I'm here for you. Okay. Well, I really appreciate that. Thank you. You're very welcome. And I appreciate being on this episode of Unfound. Thank you. You're welcome. And that was my April 27th, 2021 interview with Chris Knipe, son of Sandy Knipe. I thank him for joining me and all of you on this episode. I think it's an unfound first that the guest is also a member of the law enforcement agency that is responsible for investigating the disappearance. Pretty sure. So I want to thank the Cleveland County Sheriff's Office for allowing Chris to do all the media he has done over the past five years. What I think I know about you, the audience, after four and a half years of doing this program, is that a large majority are thinking this is a homicide. That Tom Smith, maybe with the help of John and Jane Doe, caused Sandy's disappearance due to the money they owed him. If Sandy is gone, then the debt is gone. It makes total sense. Not to mention that the truck was at Tom's. The page from the book is missing. Jane and John already seemed to know Sandy was missing when it had not officially been declared yet. Certainly, all excellent points. But... In one of those weird paradoxes of disappearances, those same facts could make us think those three had nothing to do with Sandy going missing. Really, why kill Sandy then get caught with his truck? Why kill Sandy then rip the page out of that book? Why have Sandy's clothes at your house if you killed him? Tom, if not all three of them, had to know that if Sandy went missing, that eventually Chris and thus the entire sheriff's office would come a Colin asking questions. And these items mentioned would only serve to make those three look guilty. Right? Why didn't Tom just take his own truck if Sandy was murdered? Why not leave the page in the book? Really, if Sandy's gone... It doesn't matter if the page is in the book or not. What caught my ear? The missing gun. Because I'd have to say that if those three caused Sandy's disappearance, it's hard to believe they'd use his own gun to do it. Would they even know he had a gun? I'm not sure. So I don't want all of you to jump to conclusions too fast. There's nothing wrong with jumping. And there's nothing wrong with conclusions. But combining them, that's a bad mix.
I'll leave the theorizing up to you. And that's the program. If you found it informative, please go to the app that you use to listen to Unfound and give this podcast a nice review. I thank you for listening. I'm Ed Denzel, and you've been listening to Unfound.